From coast to coast to coast, you're listening to Terra Informa. Welcome back to Terra Informa. I'm Dylan Hall, and I'll be your host for the next half hour of environmental news. A new environmental documentary will be screening in theaters across Canada this June. Called Metamorphosis, the documentary explores the state of our current environmental crisis and the psychological, emotional, artistic, and resilient responses of different people to the global change we're all living through, all using unusually spectacular imagery to communicate. At Terra Informa, we were lucky enough to have a preview of this movie, and we had a movie night, shared some snacks, and reflected on the movie. Then, later in the week, I had the opportunity with my fellow informer Amanda Rooney to interview the filmmakers. Stay tuned for that interview. Here's the crew pondering metamorphosis. Also, if it was like a classic like documentary format, I'd be like, oh, so boring. Yeah. <laughs> Do I want to look at this? <laughs> exactly, Another yeah. one. Okay. <laughs> There's a documentary similar, I think probably to what the mountains one was like too. There was no words in it, so it was like extreme this way where it was all visuals and it was all about industrial farming and like no interview questions there was no words the whole time but just the visuals and I feel like it like I felt this way with the faces it lets you make your own decision about like how they're feeling and you're not like like in this case you were listening to them talk but you weren't watching like they're They're you know they weren't like in front of the interviewer and Mm -hmm. talking and you got to really be like oh yeah I can like make my own decision about like yes yeah, looks like they're feeling that way and yeah. i feel like it leaves more to you and i think that makes it more special i enjoy way more than like interviews like regular yeah. Interview yeah. format. i think it makes a lot more sense for delivering information like this like i don't know sitting down with interview format i feel like it's easier to like lose interest after like the 12th one but um i don't know seeing such beautiful shots and then just seeing a very like not a candid circle around the person but just like a really good shot of them in whatever their situation is i like that it took away the like assumption of what i don't know you didn't know what the person was gonna look like you didn't know who was coming up on the screen or who his voice was telling the story mm-hmm. i kind of like that yeah. i feel mm-hmm. it too when there's like an image when it's like showing you an image and someone's like saying something you're more likely to like make a different connection between like the visual and mm-hmm. what's being told to you than if you're like just like watching someone say something. Mm-hmm. I had a question. Mm-hmm. All of us are, most of us like study like in, like environmental stuff, but like for anyone, is has anything new? Like, did this documentary bring anything new up? Well, garden like, pools was new. The garden pools was yeah. <laughs> I think something that's always really good is like, yeah, like connecting it back to like human experiences and emotions and stuff because I think it's really easy to become jaded to that. Mm-hmm. And like that's literally the reason why we're studying it, but it's easy to forget, you know? I, I totally agree with what you're saying though about um, just the human experience element of that. I thought that was really interesting because um, I don't know if everyone caught it, but when they were going through the photos at the end, one of the interviewees was a psychologist. I thought it was really interesting the, the little tidbits that they threw in about grief, right, and, and people's response. There was a good mix of, like, the reality of the situation, but also, but, like, those, like, all those examples and stuff that they had were, like, really hopeful. That's why I would say go watch it, because maybe 
it'll challenge like the like climb i don't know like climate apathy right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's, it was a good ending as people yeah. were thinking about all the time anyway what it would be like if you were like never thinking about climate change and then you just went inside that's one of the things i was thinking i don't know why like what part reminded me of it but i i don't know at one point i was like oh i guess like some people when they were talking about if like if people were to like you're saying celebrate like what you love and like if you were just like to realize like where does your water come from like blah 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 and it's just like one of those moments where you're like, oh yeah, I guess like some people aren't just scared all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think that a lot, but like, oh I think God. this is one of those like times where it's like, oh yeah. But then I was like worried because I was like, oh, now I'm going to be sad after this. But I actually like, it's like a good it's like feeling light, at the light end. Fear mongering. So do we want people to see this movie? Is this the kind of movie you see and you're like, mm, yeah. I think it would look really nice on a big screen. Yeah. Like, this yeah. was nice on this screen, but I feel like yeah. through Garneau, yeah, it would be like... Yeah. Right. Say goodbye, everyone. Bye! Bye. Bye. That was some of us Tara Informers reflecting on the film Metamorphosis. Now, Tara Informers Dylan Hall, that's me, and Amanda Rooney bring us an interview with filmmaking couple Velcro Ripper and Nova Ami. Hi, my name's Nova Ami. And I'm Velcro Ripper. I started filmmaking probably about just over 25 years ago. Well, it seems like a long time. And that would mean that I've been making films for about 35 years. It sounds like a really long time. (laughs) Our film is called Metamorphosis, and it's a feature documentary that is taking the pulse of the planet, looking at the theme of change and how Humanity is dealing with change in a time of climate crisis. It's a cinematic poem to the planet. It's a very visual film that takes you on a journey through the crisis as a wake-up call through to catharsis, which is processing the crisis, and all the way through to symbiosis, which is looking for positive solutions to the the ecological crisis humanity is facing. We also uh, explore the psychological and emotional aspects of climate change. And we filmed quite a bit with artists who uh, have environmental themes in their work. And we use those visuals to help um, represent some of the themes that we talk about in the film. I want to ask you about all of those things, but one of the first things that really struck me watching the film is the incredible cinematography. So I'm wondering why did you focus so much on immense, beautiful shots? Well, I think we wanted people to fall in love with the planet. We wanted people to have a cinematic experience. Um, and we wanted it to be a film that people would, would want to see. You know, there's a lot of films about, about these issues out there, a lot of films about climate change, and we wanted to do something different. We wanted to create a film that, un- unlike any one other film that was out there, so we could add to the conversation and, and get people to respond perhaps in a different way because we tend to get desensitized after so much exposure to these issues. So it was a kind of a way to shake people up and, and wake them up and, and uh, also give them something to inspire them with the, with the stunning visuals. Mm-hmm. And another uh, approach that we took to support that was that we decided not to use talking heads in our film. So we hear the voices of the interview subjects that we met, but we don't actually see them talking on screen. And that decision was uh, 
based on us wanting to create a cinematic poem uh, and also offer a kind of meditation on the theme. So again, we don't hear or we don't see the people talking to us, but we do hear them as we take in stunning imagery. And it was actually great to, to do the interviews without rolling camera. We actually did all the interviews just with audio. And so there was a kind of a safety and trust that people have that sometimes gets taken away when they're staring down a, a camera. But we, we actually really enjoyed that as, a, as a, just a process of filmmaking as well. That was definitely one of the things that stuck out to me is I was like, oh, this is such an unconventional way of having people interviewed. I couldn't help but wondering while watching the film, you have so many shots. Um, how much don't we see? Like, how much editing did you have to do to create this movie? Well, there's a, there's a lot, uh, there's a lot of uh, footage that doesn't make it into the film. Although this film was a little different because it was almost shot more like a fiction. So, you know, we, we're, we were very considered about the kind of shots we were doing, particularly with things like dolly shots and slider shots and steady cam moves where we really planned them. Um, and time lapses especially where that might take several days or even for the butterfly coming out of the cocoon time lapse, two weeks. So you end up with less footage than you might otherwise have in some documentaries where you just roll all the time. Tagging kind of on to that, when did you start filming this film? We first started uh, conceiving of the film about four years ago. Um, there was this uh, massive typhoon in the Philippines, Typhoon Haiyan, that had occurred, and over 6,000 people had been killed in this typhoon. And you know, I had spent a lot of time in the Philippines. Uh, I, my family's Filipino, and and you know, it really, really. Um, weighed heavily on me and Delco and I would talk about how an event like that would change a person and and that led to conversations about how humanity is changing as a result of this crisis that we've created and how do we deal with change how do we adapt and, and how do we resist change and how can we move forward from this and so that really got the ball rolling and we started filming, I guess, that summer, so like maybe six months later. And interestingly, around the same time that we conceived of the film, we also conceived of our son. And so um, we had a baby and he, we brought him along with us uh, throughout the whole production. I love that. That's really cute. <laughs> <laughs> you probably think about the future in a different way, having a child. Yeah, definitely. I mean, bringing bringing him uh, into the world was a, in, in a, for us was a statement of hope that there would be a future and also made us feel like we wanted to do whatever we could to make sure that he has a healthy future and a happy future. And also made us ask questions like, how could we prepare him and how could he, we protect him? Um, and also just bringing him on the journey with us to all these places, to Vanuatu in the second, you know, <laughs> to throughout the California drought, to, it was a lot, a lot of challenges, but fortunately we had grandma power, and we brought uh, we brought grandmas along with us. Nova's mom and and my mom came to some shoots as well, or some of the, especially some of the the, the festivals afterwards. Um, and without them, I'm sure we would have really been in trouble trying to pull off. We said it was like having twins. Oh yeah. <laughs> so thinking of change and birth, the film begins and ends with butterflies and the metaphor of metamorphosis comes from butterflies. Can you speak to why you chose this metaphor? 
Mm-hmm. Metamorphosis, you know, when we, we were coming up with the theme of the film, uh, and we were looking at the situation of different species that are under threat, the monarch butterfly was, was one of the uh, primary species that we were looking at. And if you look at the, the cycle that they go through, uh, you know, we can really compare it to what humanity is going through right now. And, and one of the uh, subjects that we speak to, Michael Reynolds, who invented the Earthship, in the film he says, you know, we're all caterpillars right now. and We're eating everything in sight. And I think we can turn into beautiful winged creatures. And so that metaphor, you know, we felt was really apt uh, in terms of uh, comparing the uh, us to butterflies and how we have this potential to really move through crisis and change and become something completely different and, and envision something that we've never done before. And was that something that initiated and sparked your desire to make this movie, or was it something that you realized while filming and then turned the movie into? I think the movie began with, with the, the, the title, really, uh, in one sense, you know, the words metamorphosis. Um, and we actually, at one point, we were conceiving it almost as a, as a trilogy with uh, metamorphosis, symbiosis, and catharsis as being the main theme. That theme, metamorphosis, was something that we kept coming through as we were researching and developing the film as a touchstone. And as we, were, as we were shooting it, doing the interviews, and editing it, we wanted to keep coming back to understanding change. And the butterfly itself um, is, is a, dub, a beautiful metaphor because it's got multiple levels to it. Um, the caterpillar eating everything in sight, the butterfly unfolding from the cocoon into transformation, but also the literal threat to the monarch uh, migration from climate change. So that's also a very real story. So we kind of wove that together as a metaphor and as a, as a literal story. So like as an environmental studies student here at the University of Alberta, I think Dylan and I, we like talked about this a number of times, this like feeling of psychological numbness in the face of climate change and like climate apathy that you see in other people and sometimes yourself as well. So uh, we really appreciated your focus on emotion in the film. And we were wondering your own yeah. process and what you hope viewers would get out of it. Yeah. Well, you know, um, one of the subjects in our film, Nikki Silvestri, she talks about grief and how we really have to face our grief and be in our grief to, to mourn what the, our losses are and to be able to appreciate the beauty that we have and, 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 and love. One of the times that uh, was really um, an example of that for us, I think both of us, is um, when we uh, filmed with this family in California who had lost their home and their community to a wildfire, you know, we visited where their house used to be and where their neighborhood used to be. And, you know, we really felt uh, that connection with them. And they were expressing this resilient, moving through this and coming out of this experience and the strength that they showed us, it was really inspiring. So I would say that that was a strong moment for us in terms of, of really getting in touch with that grief, but also seeing where it could go once we embraced it to just really move through that and, and come out the other side. 
Yeah, and I, I think that one of the challenges with climate change is, it, is that it's so vast. It's so overwhelming, and it can feel very distant. It can feel like it's happening to someone on the other side of the planet whose island might be swept away by, the, by sea level rise. But in fact, um, you know, as we went on moving the film, it just felt like climate change was becoming closer and closer to home, especially with the wildfires. We're from the west coast of Canada, and I'm sure you, you've been experiencing those in Alberta as well. Even in the face of that, there's a tendency to psychic numb, which Robert J. Lipton talks about, which is when we shut down and close down and, and almost deny what's happening. And sometimes I think climate denial could be a form of psychic numbing that, uh, you know, in fact, uh, in our heart of hearts, we know climate change is happening. The facts are, uh, you know, unequivocal, but we can't quite face it. So how do we, how do we cope? Um, I think for us as, as artists, what we do is we choose something meaningful that we can do. And that actually gives us hope and inspiration. You know, and I feel like for anybody, find something you're passionate about and combine that with service in some form, and you're going to find meaning in your life. And it's going to actually help you to avoid that shutting down and that, and that psychic numbing. To take action is incredibly inspiring. And you can do that even in small ways, you know, like the kids in the, in the film who, um, who make uh, pollinator gardens so to, help, uh, to help the endangered uh, pollinators like the butterflies and like the, like the bees. You know, that's something anyone can do. Yeah, I like how you put that. I really relate with um, being afraid to feel grief and afraid to feel mm. fear and then numbing out because you don't want to feel those things. And I really appreciated the idea that came up a few times in the film about turning our grief for the epic loss of what we love and what's out there into a praise for what still remains. And I, I guess your film yeah. in many ways got, I got the sense that that's one of the things you were trying to do with the film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and we've also got a, a workshop that we do that we tour with when we, when we show, the, show the film so that when people um, have these feelings and they want to go deeper and explore um, the arc that the film takes, they can actually do that um, in person in a, in a group setting. And we'll actually be doing that um, after the screening in the Metro in Edmonton on the Saturday morning, 10 a.m. to 12 uh, p.m., 10 a.m. to noon at the Metro Cinema okay, in Edmonton. That's super workshop. cool. So one thing I was wondering, much of the hope and the solutions, they're coming from individuals like radicals, innovators, artists. And I was wondering why you focus so much on individuals or why you didn't focus on like policy or government solutions? Well, um, in terms of uh, focusing on individuals, we, we feel that it's, it's really easy to connect with other people's stories, you know, on a human level to inspire and spark the imagination. We're not saying these are the solutions, uh, you know, we've built our ship that's gonna uh, solve climate change. There, there are actually concepts discuss that were are more collective as well things like changing from the industrial growth society and, and cultural shifts are, 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 are highlighted in the film and there's also this epic time lapse of the uh, people's climate march mm -hmm. in New York um, but the film isn't in intended to tell the whole story it's intended to add to the conversation and there's so many films out there in climate change that address other aspects that are more say direct action focused which is also an element of the struggle the saying no as opposed to the saying yes, we need both the no and we need the yes. And we definitely need the policy change as well. 
But the ideas in the film can be elements of that policy change. Grid Alternatives, which provides free solar panels to low-income housing while training workers in the field of renewable energy. Imagine if we put our funding into those kinds of programs. Those could be great policy moves. Did you have an imagined audience when you were making the movie? I think we wanted to to reach a really broad audience, um, and we wanted to create a film that was more of an invitation um, than a a lecture um, that didn't necessarily make people feel like they were being preached to or judged, um, because I think there's a tendency with environmentalists, and I'm sure I've done this myself, um, to, to sort of preach at people or judge people like we found the light and you need to find it too. And I don't think that that encourages people. So we have to, we wanted to look at a way to sort of try to broaden the scope. We do need to hasten this transition. We need to embrace it. But we've got to do it in a way that people actually are encouraged and feel inspired to do it. Changes we need to slow down climate change and hopefully stop climate change are also changes that are going to make our lives better, make our, our, our communities healthier and happier. So maybe this is meant to remain a mystery, but I'm really curious. The cover of the film is a painted human, and these two painted humans keep appearing throughout the film, but we never really learn who they are. So I'm wondering what their significance is. Mm -hmm. That's from a work of Jean-Paul Bouguet, who's one of the artists that we filmed with. That body of work is called Bodyscapes, actually, where he paints the bodies to blend in the landscape. We felt that, you know, they kind of represented anyone. They could be us. Uh, they, they represented humanity, an appropriate visual representation of the themes that we are talking about uh, in terms of the psychological and emotional aspects. Yeah, one of the things we did in the film, which is also not seen in, in other similar kind of environmental films, is we used the work of artists to explore the issues. And especially when we're talking about psychological and emotional themes, um, art has a way of reaching into our souls and into our psyches and, and expressing things on a, on, a, on a deeper level. So we wanted to, we wanted to incorporate art to, to try to touch on these themes. And you're right, they are, they are meant to be somewhat mysterious and not literal Exactly, and uh, and for you to also um, project your own um, uh, underlying um, meaning onto them. I really like that, and I, I like yeah bringing art into it. Um, that's something that I think about a lot because I think that in the environmental community, I don't think we embrace it as much as we could. So I think this was a great um, use of art to communicate. So for my next question, I was thinking about how probably an immense amount of work that went into the film and planning your life around it and taking your child with you around to do these interviews and filming. Um, And so I'm wondering if either of you could speak to um, how the process affected you personally um, and maybe if you have any like favorite memories from the making of this film. Mm. I can say that, uh, you know, I really experienced an incredible moment of awe and wonder and really a a very strong connection to the beauty of our planet and the species that I was surrounded by when we were in the Monarch Butterfly Preserve in Mexico. You know, it was really one of those moments that changed me to be in that environment where I was surrounded by millions of butterflies and to really witness that. It was, it was really one of those moments 
in my life where I felt changed because I was exposed to this incredible uh, beauty and and the power of of the monarch. And we had our son with us while we were filming that. And Velcro can talk about about that moment that when we were surrounded by butterflies with Phoenix. Yeah, there was there was one moment that, that for me was just the most beautiful moment of the whole filming process, and that was. Nova was just holding Phoenix in her arms, and he was asleep, um, and he was covered in butterflies, and she was covered in butterflies, and uh, and then a butterfly just landed on his nose, and he opened his eyes, and he couldn't even talk then; he was just a little over a year old, and he, but he he had a word for butterfly; it was Zaba, and he looked at the butterfly on his nose, and he went, his eyes just opened in wonder, and he said, Zaba, and just that moment um, uh, was just so. So in, encapsulated that sense of wonder for the natural world and uh, the beauties that are, that, are, that are held within. That was definitely transformative for us. I think at the same time, um, the spending time um, filming in California during the drought um, and the, the intensity of, uh, of it as it dropped, you know, and, and feeling how um, challenging it is. Um, and can be was also very transformative and, and just brought it really mm-hmm. brought it home it just brought it home that uh, you know there was a town that we visited that it had no water left and you know the, the forest fires that swept through um, and that we went in with Cal Fire the firefighters and, and went in right into the heart of this forest fire and witnessed the power of the flames which was also because of the, the drought and because of the extension of the, 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 the forest fire season because of climate change it just feels like it's getting, you know, that it's it's happening now. It's not it's not something in the future. It's not something far away. It's in this moment, and I think seeing it firsthand was really transformative, and uh, and gave me a sense of uh, the importance of the work that we're doing, and uh, and the and and really inspired us to just carry on because it's just, it is a lot of work to make a film, and it is a lot of work mm-hmm. to release a film. Yeah, you have to keep motivated right? <laughs> in the in some of the most challenging times. You know, I think having that sense of urgency was really what propelled us to keep going. I really appreciated the filming of the butterflies in Mexico, too, and the poet that was speaking while that was being filmed. That was really beautiful. Mero Arigis. He's the poet laureate of Mexico, and he's absolutely brilliant and uh he grew up in that butterfly, around the butterfly sanctuary. So his poem is really about about his personal experience and also the threats to them. Any last thing that you want to say? Any last thing that you want people to take away? We want people to feel inspired. And we also want people to think about how crisis can be an opportunity for change and for transformation. and. And really, um, that we have a choice in terms of how that transformation unfolds. So to really um, take carry that with them uh, after seeing the film, and 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 to really um, kind of meditate on that, and and hopefully find ways to channel that into some kind of action. Yeah, that's well said, and. And I would just encourage people to come and see it on the big screen because it's, it's, it's got a powerful presence on the big screen to see it with a group and see it um, with the sound the way it was intended because the sound design is a big part of it as well. And, 
it's a rare opportunity to actually see these films because you blink and, and you miss the theatrical release. So, so seize, the, seize the moment and, and see it when you can in cinema. Wonderful. Well, thank you both so much. Yeah. I'm certainly inspired not just to think about these things more, but also to feel. Mm-hmm. It, was really, it was really cool talking to you and hearing about the process. Great. Thank you for having us. Yeah, wonderful talking with you. That was Terra Informers Dylan Hall and Amanda Rooney interviewing Velcro Ripper and Nova Ami, creators of the documentary Metamorphosis, which is playing in theaters in June. For a list of when and where this documentary will be playing across the country, check out our website, terrainforma.ca. And that's all the time we have for this week's show. Terra Informa is a production of CJSR 88.5 FM in Edmonton on Treaty 6 territory. If you have questions or comments, send us an email to terra at cjsr.com or tweet it at terrainforma. Visit us at terrainforma.ca and subscribe on iTunes. Thanks this week to our contributors, Amanda Rooney, Hannah Cunningham, Jason Wong, and all the Terra Informers and guests who attended to preview the film with us. I've been your host, Dylan Hall. Catch you next week.